All right, let's get to the Word. Can you open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Philippians? The book of Philippians. This morning, we're going to be thinking about the thankful joy of gospel partnership. Last week, we began our series in this wonderful letter. We took an opportunity to kind of do the backstory of how this church came to be. Uh, we read of God's saving work in the city, like woman like Lydia and her household and a slave girl and um, a jailer in his household. And God broke into this, this little town. It, it was a little town, but the, it formed this little church in this Roman town, uh, and the Philippian church was birthed. Fast forward probably about 12 years later, Paul is in prison in Rome. A report comes to him from this church through one of their church members, Epaphroditus, and along with a financial gift, an update of where the church is. And Paul now writes this letter, if you recall it. It's what we call a letter of friendship. It's filled with deep affection and love and gratitude to them for their support. And given what he's heard about what's going on in the church, he's wanting to encourage them in Christ. And so we looked at verses 1 and 2, sort of a welcome and greeting. And what follows is this, this beautiful series of words describing his gratitude for them. He's going to be getting into ways he needs to encourage them, but he wants to establish out of the gates why he is so grateful for them. He's going to be touching on themes of their unity or their joy in Christ or their suffering well for Jesus, but in order for them to maximize their joy and his love for them, he wants to begin with reminding them what binds them together and why he has so much reason to give thanks and I just think it kind of a Lord to give such a theme here this morning leading up to Thanksgiving. So we're going to be talking a lot about thanks today. It's really the core of what he is communicating in these verses. So let's read and then we will we'll pray. Beginning with verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Join me as we pray for the word this morning. Lord, we, we do, as we have already prayed, we, we, we have so much to give thanks for. And um, thank you for the opportunity for us to open up your word to, to hear from you, Lord. Uh, we get to hear your very words to that church in Philippi. We get to hear these words that are for us today. And the, the intended effect of our hearts experiencing what your word would want, Lord, we know this will only happen by the work of your Spirit. So come, Spirit of God, I pray, to meet me as I communicate, to meet us as we receive and read and hear from your word, Jesus so that, that our hearts would, 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 by the end of today, be moved with grateful, thankful joy for what we've been given in Jesus and what we get to do together. We ask, Lord, this in your Son's name. Amen. 
Amen. So, Paul begins with thanks. He starts with thanks. He thanks God. He says he thanks my God, a very thanking his personal God and Savior for a very deeply personal relationship and love for these saints. And, and it's in every remembrance of them, thanking God always for all of them. There's a, there's a lot of things that I remember, um, and they're not always with joy and thanking. But for Paul, as he thinks of these people, it is always thanking God with joy. So, to kind of follow the path, he remembers them. He sees this as an opportunity to pray to God on behalf of them and what he gives thanks in his prayer for them. And when he does it, he does it with joy. What an example. And he, it's not an empty, I thank God for you, um, but as a wise pastor and a good friend, he follows that up with, with a reason, with a why. And I, I just think it's a wonderful lesson there. When we give thanks to, some, thanks to God for somebody, if you're, I thank God for you, um, back that up with a why. It just gives it some power and some specific uh, reasons that is, is strong. And Paul does that. He inserts some because. There's a bunch of becauses in this section of verses. Reasons. And what are the reasons that he gives to encourage them? And he gives thankful joy, thanks and joy to God. Well, he gives thankful joy to them first because, let's look at verse 5, because of gospel partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this word partnership is the Greek word koinonia, which, which means partnership. It has ideas of participation, a sharing in. It's where we also get that word fellowship. So what is this, this sharing, this partnering in the gospel that Paul is grateful for? Well, there are several ways that he views this sharing in the letter, and we're going to see this throughout our letter, this sharing. And I want to consider three. And one, one way that partnering in the gospel with the Philippians looks like is something he points to in chapter 4. It is cost, the cost of mission and what they're willing to give financially for that. Look at verse uh, four with me, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. It's up here on the screen. He says, yet it was kind of you to share, there's this form of the word koinonia right there, in my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership or koinonia with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my, for my needs once and again. So we, we see practically part of what Paul is thanking them for, his partnership is sharing in the cost of gospel ministry. The mission of the gospel, him traveling, him going, supporting churches, those who were in impoverished situations, financial needs were met, were there, and they gave generously towards that. So it's missionary support that would, had been done for many years out of sacrifice, sharing in his trouble, sharing in the ministry from the first time that he was there when he planted the church until 12 years later, they're still there supporting, giving towards the mission. So much generosity. They, we reflect on this last week. Here they were, unaware of the gospel and the good news, and God traversed that little church planting team all the way across countries to 
deposit the good news of Jesus Christ and they receive the riches of Christ and that brought gratitude. And part of that expression of gratitude was giving towards ongoing. They wanted others to experience the glory and the good of what they had experienced by the kindness and the mercy of God towards gospel mission with their resources. And then again, right here, they're sending more money, sending someone, Epaphroditus, as a gift, as an expression of love. Generosity overflowing because of the grace received in God. And as I reflected on this text this week, I just was reminded of your generosity, cross of grace, the way you give to the gospel mission here, the way you are giving towards the gospel mission in Pakistan, that we are in relationship, the way you've communicated by, in acts of faith towards if it would be a home, a church building for us. It is reflected of your experiencing the generosity of Christ, that you are generous with your resources. And so Paul thanked them for that. So his partnership included that, but it also included walking in the same footsteps of suffering like Jesus that Paul had experienced and is experiencing. Look down at verse 7. They're sharing in suffering together. He says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, this affection, this, this thankful joy, because I, I hold you in my heart. And, or we could, we could read that as, because you are also partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, there are partakers of, of grace with them. That rooted in this word is also that word koinonia. They're, they're fellowshipping together in the grace of God. The grace, in other words, of the gospel. And what does this sharing or partnership in the gospel include? Sharing in, in his imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. This word imprisonment is, is literally the word chains. He's saying, you are sharing with me in my chains. Remember, back in Acts 16, Paul and Silas in a prison, shackled, beaten, bloodied, severe persecution. They're in that very city. Some of the members of that church were the very ones in that prison, a jailer over, watching over Paul and Silas. They knew what it took to live a life in reference to following Jesus. A clear connection. Following Jesus with others, you will experience suffering for Jesus' sake. And they wanted to share in that suffering. They knew that they did, if they were going to be together in this, it was sharing collectively. They are partakers of grace, God's grace, with Paul in his chains. Not because they are in prison with him hundreds of miles, probably 800 miles away, but they are acknowledging their brother's suffering for the gospel's sake, and they were poised to walk alongside him in his suffering as they embraced their own right there in that little Roman colony. It's risky, it's risky to identify yourself with someone who's in prison and the message that they're preaching and they're in prison because of it and say, I'm a part of that as well. And that was what they're doing. There they are, mutually, mutually identifying with his suffering, ready, ready to embrace their own. And we know from the letter that there is that very reality that they're facing. And he, they were doing it from the first day until now. They, they weren't bailing. They weren't leaving his side or following Jesus and suffering for his sake. 
They were enduring. They were ready to endure. It's very easy to partner with someone when all, everything is lovely and it's peaceful and there's abundance and riches. Recently, the $2 billion Powerball was, was won. I am sure those winners have a bunch of brand new BFFs. They want to be a part of that partnership. It's easy when you're winning. It's easy when things are going well. It's football season. We know what that means when we are football fans to endure ulcers and headaches of season after season, um, and you're still wearing the T-shirt. I'll be honest, I wanted to burn my Cowboys gear last week. But I can't bail. I can't bail. If you're a fan, you can't bail. And Paul is saying, you didn't bail. You're clinging to Christ. And you're, you're following the Savior together. Their Christian suffering was testifying that they were in Christ too. And they were in fellowship with Jesus. And they were going to fellowship with those who also suffer. In defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, their perseverance, their ongoing testifying to the truth with their lives, they were saying, I'm going to defend Jesus. I'm going to defend what, who Jesus is. I'm going to confirm with my life that the truth that I'm clinging to, I'm going to be steadfast and I'm not going to waver, whatever the cost. It was proof that it was real in them. And Paul is writing and encouraging them. Christ is in you. It's proof. You're enduring with me. You are personally enduring. He would tell them very shortly in verse 29 in chapter 1, for it was granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. God grant, He gifted faith in Jesus Christ. But there was another granting. It was a granting that they would also suffer along with the Savior, for the Savior's sake. Our partnership, our sharing in the, gra- in the grace of God means we, 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 are in, we are in Team Jesus and we are in His kingdom and we exist for His glory and we're going to be on His gospel mission even if everything is contrary and against us and we're willing to endure for Him. Our enduring faithfulness is evidence that genuine faith rests in us. And we, we, need, we need courage to do this. We need courage to do this increasingly in our day. I hear stories, and I understand that many of you in your workplace, your jobs, education, or they might be the, the pressures that are increasingly coming to say, I'm going to defend Jesus. I'm going to confirm that the truth that I believe is Christ and His Word. So we need, we need to pray. We need encouragement in that. And when we do see it, I think we need to be sure we are encouraging one another and say, I'm seeing you being faithful to Jesus. Paul does that. We, we need to do that. So Paul is there doing that, encouraging them, praying for them, writing to them, encouraging them to continue, suffer, follow, seeing God's grace in them when they do. It's proof that they're in Christ and they're doing it together. This leads to a third, third observation. He offered thankful prayers of joy because of their sharing or their partnership in Christ. So their koinonia was about giving and it was about suffering together, but first and foremost, foundationally, it was in their sharing in the good news of Jesus, meaning they were sharing in Christ himself. 
What joined them, what united them far away from each other, what preserved their connection and his intense love for them and their love for him was because of their partnership in the gospel in Christ. Because they were partakers of grace in Christ. Grace in Christ saved them. Grace in Christ saved Paul. And they shared in the beauty of that together. So what they shared in common, the most foremost reality, unifying power, the, the thing that compelled their affections, their love, their bond together, was that they shared in Christ. We talked about the, the varying degrees of people that God saved into this little church last week. This mashup of people, Lydia, this businesswoman, the slave girl, the jailer, their various households, throw into that the mix all the people that probably were converted and saved and became disciples during those many years. What made them partners? What, what was the glue that would hold them together in suffering and varying interests and backgrounds? It would be Christ. It was Jesus They were joined in Christ by the Spirit through the gospel of his Son. Paul would draw attention to this later as he's he's charging them to walk in unity, in love, in humility towards one another in Philippians 2.1. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or koinonia in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. He says, this is what's going to drive you, what's going to bind you, what what is going to be the fountain of love and joy and affection and endurance. It's going to be your union with Jesus by the Spirit, by the Gospel. This is what is going to unify them. Cross of grace, what will continue to be our binding reality as a church. Always, increasingly, foundationally, it must be Jesus. It must be Jesus, that we are in Christ together. It's not just that it would not just be a slogan, but it would be the thing that we treasure, that we delight over, that we gather in prayers together in small groups and in a room with different people, all walks of life. And I'm filled with joy because I see that in you, cross of grace. I got to experience that yesterday. The men, we gathered together, our men's breakfast, there was some by 55 guys all crammed in this little room. It was hot and sweaty, and, and we were all on top of each other. But there were men from Cornerstone, men from Cross of Grace, all different ages, teenagers, elderly. There were people from all different kinds of backgrounds, those that have been brought up in the church. There were those that were there that are recovering addicts. We were singing, we were confessing Christ, declaring the glory of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ because of what God had done. That was beautiful. That was a picture to me of our participation, our sharing, our partnership in Christ. And that's what we get to do. That's what we get to do here this morning. That's what we continue to get to do. And so we're going to have numerous opportunities to reflect more deeply about this in Christ uh, throughout this letter. So I'll, I'll pin that one there. But to reflect back, Joyful thanks on Paul's part because of their partnership in the gospel, because they shared in gospel mission together. They were willing to suffer for Jesus' sake together, and they were sharing in the person of Christ. But he goes on. There's, many, there's more becauses for him to share his thankful joy, and he gives thanks, thankful joy, because, look at verse 6, because of his confidence in God's ongoing work in them until the end. He says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, so he offers thanks to God because he, he is sure of something. He's, he's confident of something. What God began in them, a good work that he started, that God inaugurated in saving them, that God would finish this good work. So what, what is this good work? Well, the good work was initially the work of faith or belief in Jesus, that they are partakers of grace. Remember Lydia, down by the river, just praying, didn't know Christ, didn't know Jesus. She hears the gospel. And remember, her, it says her heart was opened up to hear the words that Paul was communicating, the, the good news. She, her heart was opened, and she put her faith in Jesus, that jailer who didn't think he was in prison, but he was the one in prison in darkness and his, in his sin, and the Spirit provoked his heart, and he begged, what must I do to be saved? How did that happen? It was God's mercy opening up his heart so he could have faith on the risen Christ. And he said, believe, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. The Spirit took dead hearts, made them alive, so that they could have faith in Jesus Christ. This was the beginning of the ongoing good work. Paul describes this in, in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That's every one of us in this room. God's good work began because we were dead, we could not see, behold Him, we did not know Him, we did not want Him, and He opened our hearts to trust in Jesus. And Paul's confidence, his assurance of this good work was not rooted because he was there preaching the gospel. It wasn't because he was some gifted apostle. Um, it was because it was rooted in the saving character of God. The love of God who started the work. If God, if God did all of that to start the work, what, would he stop the work? Absolutely not. If he makes dead hearts alive, he's the one that keeps them. He's the one that finishes it. It's the confidence he has in God himself. One of my boys recently discovered Dude Perfect. If you don't know what Dude Perfect is, it's a, it's a sports comedy group. There's some friends, a couple of them are brothers, and they, it's, you know, these guys are like massive YouTube stars, just big deal. Um, but they do these sports-themed tricks with, you know, basketballs and footballs and everything else, and they, they look at the camera, and it all starts with, this is the whatever shot. And then they turn around and they'll do something. They'll chuck a basketball off a 35-story building or something and make it into a hoop. And it's pretty mesmerizing. They're, they're, they are very skilled, talented guys. Um, but they, they stare at it with a confidence as to say, I do this every day, all day, and I can make this every time I do it. Now, in some rare occasions, they do capture on the first shot some amazing event. But usually, if we did witness the behind the scenes and all of the takes it would take to get that shot, we wouldn't be quite as mesmerized. But they are skilled, but they aren't perfect. They are not perfect. Paul, however, he turns to the camera with a confidence, with a confidence in God, the perfect God and Savior, knowing with absolute certainty that the God who made them alive in His grace will be the one that will keep them. 
preserve them in the ongoing work in their life. Not just at salvation, but in all the ups and downs, in their warrings and struggles with sins, in their doubts, in their fears, in their temptations. So the good work was just not only the beginning of faith in Jesus, it's the good work of the ongoing, keeping, transforming work of Jesus in them. Paul had this perspective of this church. He knew. He'd been there many times. He knows what's going on. He knows that they are human. He knows they're not the infallible, perfect Philippians. They were having issues. They were frightened by opponents. They were struggling with contentment. They were grumbling and complaining. They were having hardships with disunity. There was stuff coming in from outside. There was stuff they were struggling with weakness from within. And part of Paul's goal was to write them to encourage them to lift their eyes to Jesus who would help them continue to walk worthy of the gospel. He knew it wasn't going to happen internally in them. It was going to be by the keeping, preserving grace of God. He would tell them in chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works. It's the same, same words here. God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's at work. They needed to keep looking to Christ, but it's God at work in them. It's God at work in them, and it's God at work in us. The good work that Jesus brings to give us faith and the ongoing work that Jesus works in us to conform us to Him. Yesterday, today, and all the way to that day. So he says in verse 6, He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. What, what is the day of Jesus Christ? Well, the Old Testament prophets wrote and spoke of the day of the Lord. And there were moments where sort of the inbreaking of that in day of judgment came in in measures upon Israel or upon their enemies. But it was only like a foretaste, a picture of the one day that would come, the final day, the, the day of Jesus' return. It is the day only known, Jesus tells us in Mark 13, by the Father. This is the day that Paul would write about in chapter 2, the day when, when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The day of salvation. It's rescue for the people, His beloved, and judgment for those who are not and outside of Christ. But here's the confidence, saints. And I, I don't know if you're here this morning, you're, you're struggling with assurance today. The Lord who start the, the work in you will complete that work all the way and fully realize in His return. It's not looking down and inward that we have confidence. It's looking up and outward to our Savior Jesus. Jesus tells us this. He, he communicates these lovely words in John 10. Hear this if you're struggling today with assurance. I give them eternal life. He gives you eternal life and you will not perish. No one will snatch you out of His hands. His Father, my Father, who has given you to Him, is no, great, no one greater than Him, no one stronger than Him, nor more powerful than Him. And no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. He who began a good work in you, we faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. He gives His people eternal life and He is the one who keeps His people. So what confidence we can have, saints. What confidence we can have 
our, our confidence isn't looking into Paul's eyes. It's not looking into my eyes. It's not looking into a friend's eyes or a spouse's or your favorite author. It's looking into Jesus' words and His eyes and His promises. What I started, I'm going to finish. That's good news. That's good news for us. Now, something really important about that verse. This is an amazing verse to memorize. We should all memorize this. And it is a promise to us personally. But there's something deeper going on in this. He who began a good work in you, that word you is the plural word. It is is he who began a good work in you, church. So he who began a good work in, you could say us, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's very much a promise personally for us, but God's purposes of salvation were connected to calling people into Christ and calling those people into his church. They are one in the same thing. So Jesus' saving work was not simply individualistic, it was saving them into a partnership of the gospel. And this is really important for us in a day when the church is kind of poo-pooed in our culture and we are in a very me-centered culture to keep this in perspective. A helpful, some helpful words from a commentator, Walter Hansen. He says this, God began the good work of salvation in me and he will complete that good work in me. Of course the good work of God includes the God's work of salvation in the individual, but as true as the, in, that individualistic application of the text is, it misses the connection of God's good work to koinonia. The good work that God began was the formation of a corporate entity, his church, the partnership, koinonia, in the gospel. Those who belong to this koinonia enjoyed friendship deeper than the blood relationship of brothers and sisters on the basis of their mutual participation in the saving work of Christ announced in the gospel. So saints, we enjoy this personally, but we enjoy this as we are brought into God's church. And God, will, who started this work, will complete that work through His church. The partnership in the gospel could be read this, in the furtherance of the gospel. This is not going to be accomplished by some super apostle like Paul or by individuals. It will be by God's people joining in, supporting, living in the good of God's church. God's people. All His saints in the koinony of the gospel, where the gospel is fleshing out in our life personally, we're living that out in a community, and we're moving out towards the world with the gospel. And disciples are made, and they're connected then again to God's church to grow, to become disciples, to then go out on mission. That's why church planting is such a part of God's mission going forward. We're not just simply sending out individuals, we're sending out missionaries who would plant churches, and those churches would then plant churches. That's why I love being part of a denomination, Sovereign Grace Churches, who seeks to plant and support churches in the gospel. Cross of Grace, I, I want us to, we want to plant churches. Now, even we could look around and say, our small little congregation, how can we do this? I think God wants us to do this. I think God's call for us as a church is to do that. But we need, we need God's help to do that. So I just, I just plead with you to pray with us that God, there is cities around our area, outside of our area, other states, they need churches that preach the gospel, that want to help grow and mature disciples. And they, are, they need churches planted in those places. 
Would you join with me to pray for that? Would you help us grow in faith towards that end? I want that to happen. And I want God to use Cross of Grace to plant churches, and I believe he has that for us. Finally, Paul finds one more opportunity to instill his affection for them. Whatever image we would get in our mind about Paul being some curmudgeonly old like theologian, it is so whack. This guy was a pastor of pastors. He loved this church. And he tells them in verse 8, for God is my witness. He, he enacts like this solemn oath. God knows. God knows how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Earlier he tells them that he holds them in his heart. He yearns for them with Christ's affection. Think about this. He, he is some 800 miles away, imprisoned, in chains, burdened. He's on the, towards the tail end of his ministry. He had all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the starving. All of that had happened to him. He knew what hardship meant. He very well could be wrestling with discouragement, fighting for faith and joy himself. He has, had, he has plenty of opportunity for self-focus, for self-pity, to think about, I'm in prison Look what all I've done. Look at all the hardship I've walked through. And be all Paul-oriented. But I don't see any of that here. He, he has these saints and their good on his heart and his mind. How, how does he do this? How is he able to do this? Well, this is, a, this is supernatural. That's why he's able to do this. Paul's eyes were fixed on Jesus, and he was filled with, with not his own affection. He says he's filled with Christ's affection. God's love, the love of God has filled his heart. He knew he wasn't drawing from a well that would come from himself. It was something that he has encountered over the years of the love of God in Jesus for himself, towards him. He knew the Savior who the joy that was set before him endured the cross for the eternal happiness of His people. He knew the Savior who laid down His life so that He, a sinner, Paul, could be transformed by the grace of God. He encountered the grace of God. And that, that love compelled Him towards this affection for these people. And not just some of them, all of them. He says the word all actually five times in these verses. In all of my remembrances, in all my prayers, always with joy about you all. You are all partakers. I yearn for you all. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Each and every one of those individuals in that church moved him with thankful joy. What started the church, what would keep the church was the grace of God and it would be the power of God that would move Paul to love like this. I mean, is it possible to remember someone only with joy? Surely there is some, you just think through the relationships you have, there's some, there's some nasty bits to consider in our relationships, right? There's blunders, there's disappointments, there's things that have come upon our hearts in those relationships. But for Paul, it was thankful joy always. 
Is there a capacity to love someone even in their weaknesses and through tough situations and to give thanks to God always with joy? This is, this is done through the good and power of the gospel. It was possible for Paul to love this way and it is possible for us to love this way as we encounter the love of Jesus and the affections of Christ for us. We can give thanks We can love imperfect people. We can pray for imperfect people. We can move towards those around us empowered by the love of God. And Paul knew this was essential for a healthy church, and he's modeling that well. And that is essential for us, Cross of Grace, to love well. It was the glory of God moving through Christ, filling their hearts with love for each other. This was people that Paul was about. All of those people. For Paul, partnership was not linked ultimately to things, but for people. I mean, I just imagine him praying like he's like he had a church directory in his mind. He saw faces, Lydia's, the jailer, which I like to call Clyde. I think that's a really good Greek name. Epaphroditus. His prayers of thankfulness and joy was not for for steeples or particularly for funds or money. It was because of people. He wants them to experience his love for them, which really in turn was the affections of Christ. He wanted them, people, to know Jesus' love. He wanted them to know the love of God and the friendship of God that share in the love of God for one another as a community. They with Paul, Paul with them, Paphroditus and Paul, and Paphroditus in the church, and their love for Timothy, and Timothy's love for them. This is, this is a wonderful picture of God's work in them as their love for one another is expressed. That's why Jesus would say, they, you will, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And it seems replete and beautiful here. So let's celebrate wonderful gifts. Let's celebrate spiritual gifts and financial gifts. Money is needed for missions, but let us be about what Paul is about, and that is the love of God manifests towards people. This is part of the mission. So I want to wrap up just briefly with just two two takeaways that I think we could grow and we can move towards one another in our love for each other. To, To express thankful joy for our sharing in partnership together as God's people. One way I think we can do that is growing in a skill to see God at work in others and sharing it with them. Paul, Paul was a pro at this. With skill, he, he's drawing attention, he's giving thanks, he's rejoicing, and he's sharing with them the whys. We, we saw those. He, he was highlighting their generosity, their endurance and faith, their love for him that he's witnessing, their faithfulness to Jesus and to one another. We like to use this term, evidences of grace here. That there, are, there are thousands of things around us right now that we can express thankful joy for. For the, to the, for the ten things that we know are hard that we could be disgruntled about, there are thousands around those that we can draw attention to God's grace. And that includes what we see in one another. But it takes skill to see that. It takes eyes of grace to see that. It takes the Spirit to help us see that. 
So, where do you see someone enduring and confessing and looking to Jesus right now in something difficult? Where is their life in that hardship defending and confirming their faith and their trust in the Gospel? Where is somebody that's loving others well when it's really hard to love? Where is somebody who's being generous with their time or their resources or their gifting when you know it's sacrificial and that's not easy? What can you can simply give thanks for in somebody's life and just be specific with that. I want to encourage you this week, today, like look, look for that. Draw attention to that. Send somebody a text. Send somebody an email. Walk up to them. Communicate. It could be very small. It doesn't have to be a novel. It could be one little thing. I tell you, a church that does this, man, it is a happy church. It is an encouraged church. Is it a church that's ready to move forward in partnership of the gospel? And so let us walk in the good of that and let let Thanksgiving this week be one where we can do that. If that's just sitting around the table and as you eat, just prompt the question, what can we give thanks for today? And lean into that. Secondly, Paul was eager to say he was praying for them. He prayed for this church. Prayer was a deliberate expression of his love for these people. And we can pray for one another. And it is an expression of our love for our, each other, our partnership together. And it is, it is a profound encouragement when we do that and we say we are. So, so who can you go to and carry on your heart in prayer today? Who, who can you just message and say, I'm, I'm praying for you. you? You are on my heart. And how can I go to God on your behalf today specifically? Maybe someone's already on your heart and you've just been praying for them, but you just haven't told them that you've been praying for them. Message them. Talk to them. Say, I've been praying for you. You've been on my heart. Is there a way I can go to God together and then pray? Maybe even right there. That is a beautiful way we can express our partnership and grow. I tell you, church, I've been soaking in verses 3 through 8 today. I, I've been moved throughout the week in thankful joy to share in God together with you, cross of grace. And and to see the Lord, you, as partakers of grace in you, moving towards Him in faithfulness, in endurance, in love for one another. You make me a happy pastor to be able to be in among you and serve you. So saints, because we share in the grace of God in Jesus, we, we are participants in the gospel together. It is a powerful thing to move us towards selfless love for one another, thankful joy for each other and what God's doing. And it embeds us in a confident expectation that what God started in us, cross of grace, he will do and preserve all the way to the end. That's good news for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have begun, the good work that you have begun in us. That you have opened up our hearts to behold Jesus and the good work that you continue to do in us, Jesus. And Lord, that that makes 
makes us, when we become aware of what you are doing, what you initiated, what you are ongoing doing in us by grace, Lord, it, it sure does make us a thankful and joyful people. And so this morning, would you, would you continue to provoke our hearts to thankful joy as we consider what we get to do in sharing you, Jesus, and we get to do not alone, but together as a church. So give us eyes, Lord. Give us eyes like Paul did to, to make quick observations of where he saw the grace of God at work and others. And let us draw attention to that today in the coming days. Lord, let us be a prayerful people for one another, quick to give thanks for all that you have given us and, and to carry each other on each other's hearts. And Lord, thank you for the, the partnership and the mission of, of doing this together as your people. You're kind to us. You're good to us, Jesus. And we know this all comes because of your love and your mercy. We give you thanks. Amen.